welcome to this week's episode of Mum Talk, Series 4, Episode 9. Normally you would have me this week, but I am actually going to put live the chat I had with Dr. Brooke Vandermolen. She is an obs and gynae doctor. We chatted last week for the podcast and answered a whole load of your questions. This is a really informative podcast and I wanted to get it out to you guys ASAP hence why it's coming to you this week. We cover so many different topics, some of which is quite uncomfortable to talk about sometimes, and it may take a little bit of persuasion for you to pop to the doctor for them to check things out. So I think it's important for this one to go live this week. Also, next week concludes Series 4. Don't you worry, there is a big old series five coming i have already had some fantastic guests on the podcast for series five so i'm super excited to share that with you um but it means there is a big q a session coming with me next week so as you're listening to this podcast or as you go through your week write down in your phone or on a notepad any questions at all that you want to ask and during the course of this week i'll be popping on my Instagram stories, Mum Talk Podcast, little question boxes for you to put your questions in there. I will answer anything and everything. It does not have to be baby related. You can ask me whatever you like and I will be completely truthful as always and answer it for you. Make sure you listen to the end of this podcast because there is a giveaway that I am going to be running for you wonderful, wonderful podcast listeners and it is in return for a little bit of a favour. I won't lie. So do have a good listen to the podcast. I hope you enjoy it and I will catch up with you at the end. So today I am joined on the podcast by Dr. Brooke van der Molen. Is that how you say it? Yeah, that's fine. You did well there. Okay. (laughs) I have such a tricky surname as well with Hendrik being French. (laughs) And you are an obs and gynae doctor. So for anyone that doesn't know exactly what that means, could you just break that down for us? Yeah, sure. So I basically specialise in all things to do with women's health, um, which takes you through right from the kind of beginning of life and pregnancy. Uh, and, uh, sorry, I meant periods and like all of that kind of starting out um, and then to pregnancy, fertility, and then later on to kind of menopause. And um, and we also touch on, you know, we, we look after them with um, gynecological cancer as well. So things that affect the cervix, the ovaries, basically anything that's just to do with being a woman. Um, but on my kind of day-to-day job most of what it involves is a mixture between working in gynecology so um, doing uh, doing clinics and seeing patients with with problems with their periods for example or fertility um, or operating on them with those problems or we work a lot in antenatal clinic and on labour ward as well Um, so I have a very varied job and it encompasses lots of different things but that's kind of why I love it as well. Gosh, I'm busy, I bet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we were lucky to first connect when I received a ton of questions when I started talking about the topic of fertility and breastfeeding. Mm. And that's when I found your page. You had an absolutely brilliant post pretty much exactly on this. <laughs> so why don't we start there? Because, I mean, it's certainly a hot topic for me because mm. I am yet to get my period back. I'm mm-hmm. 10 months postpartum. Um, I'm still breastfeeding. I would like to keep breastfeeding for at least kind of a year, really. Um, And I know I'm not the only person in this boat kind of thinking, oh, can I get pregnant? Can I not? If I don't have periods, 
you know, do I have fertility? Can I ovulate? So let's start there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I think when when we think about like breastfeeding and, and fertility, it's worth thinking a bit about, um, you know, why why breastfeeding affects our fertility in the first place. Um, and it's it's mainly to do with the main hormone that gets released by by your body when you breastfeed, um, which is stimulated by you know by by your baby feeding, which is prolactin. Um, and the effect of that hormone in, inhibits or prevents other hormones that trigger you from ovulating normally. Um, and so at the beginning, when you first have your baby, just your general levels of prolactin are high all the time. But once you've been breastfeeding for a while, it basically just goes up and down when you have a feed. And so if there's a big gap between those peaks of prolactin, what can happen is the other hormones are allowed to work again temporarily. So if they can kind of break through, that can trigger you to ovulate, even if you're still breastfeeding. Does that, is that clear? Does that kind of make sense? It does. It makes complete yeah. sense. Great. So, so basically, the, the kind of short answer is yes, you can definitely ovulate while still breastfeeding. But using that information, you can help to um, to kind of restore your fertility a bit. Obviously, if if you're absolutely desperate to get pregnant and as quickly as possible, then most doctors would kind of suggest stopping breastfeeding completely. And an abrupt cessation of breastfeeding will tend to work a bit quicker than a gradual reduction. Right. But that's not right for everybody, and you shouldn't just have to stop breastfeeding because you know you might be thinking of, of moving on to your next baby uh, because you can still get pregnant whilst continuing to breastfeed. So. Um, what one of the things just to think about is the pattern of the, of the way your baby feeding. So by 10 months, I imagine maybe your baby's feeding mostly in the morning and at night and not so many times in the day. Is that is that right? Exactly. So a big yeah. feed in the morning, big feed at night. Occasionally, I'll give her a bottle of my express milk at night, but I still then have to express. Um, and then just little top up feeds in the day. Yeah. So what what... The best way to kind of help get your breast, your your periods back, um, is to kind of space out the feeds where possible. And it's we know that it's the night feeds that have slightly more of an effect than the day feeds. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you find when you when you baby wakes up at night that they, then they feed, then maybe kind of changing those ones out for express bottles instead of you know breastfeed from you might help to to get your periods to return because essentially once your periods return that that indicates that you've started ovulating again which indicates that you you know your fertility is kind of coming back um and so it's it's shortening the duration of the feeds that you have and spacing them out more uh, but also just giving your body time as well and you most people find that it's from when they start weaning um you know maybe around six months or so at some point after that, that your periods do do start to return. Okay, and can you please excuse my naivety? Biology yeah. was never a hot topic for me. <laughs> um, can you ovulate and then not get your period? Yes, um, yes, in the sense that if you imagine the first time you ovulate, maybe since having your baby, which might happen at ten months after having your baby, if you conceive that month. Um, so, so, you know, that egg that you release meets a sperm in the second half of your cycle. You won't yet have seen your period because your period comes two weeks after you ovulate. Right. So then if you become pregnant, then you won't ever see that period. So you can get pregnant whilst breastfeeding without ever seeing a period. But you would need to have ovulated in order for that to happen. Because I could have sworn when we were in France a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, I mean, maybe even three weeks ago now, I had such bad period pain, which felt like 
I was going to get my period. And I thought, oh, okay, could I be ovulating? Maybe I'll get my period in a couple of weeks. And nothing. I haven't had anything. But it was so like period pain before. Yeah, I mean, if you did ovulate, you would get reliably a period if you don't get pregnant that month. Okay. um, Two weeks later. So that would be your best sign that you were ovulating. And the other thing that you can do if if you really want to kind of know if you're ovulating is using ovulation sticks, which I don't think are completely reliable because they rely on detecting um, the hormone that triggers ovulation, doesn't detect ovulation directly, um, but, it, but it looks for LH, which is the hormone that triggers ovulation. Um, so you, you can try using those and see if you're getting like a surge around the time you think you're ovulating. But the more accurate way to work out if you're ovulating is to um, get your GP to do a blood test for uh, progesterone, which is a hormone that's released after you've ovulated, if you did in fact ovulate. Okay, and is that something that you can request from your GP? Yeah, so especially if you want to get pregnant, maybe it's been about six months and you haven't had regular periods, then they should um, be able to start doing some of the basic tests for you. Okay, I'm just looking through the questions that I have Mm. here and thinking... Why don't I ask you this one, seeing as we're on the topic? Some uh, One lady has asked, can you ovulate one month and then not the next when breastfeeding? So I'm assuming maybe she had one period and now she doesn't have one. Yes, definitely. And that's, you know, as I said, because the, the hormones of the breastfeeding does impact and inhibit some of the hormones that trigger ovulation. So what you might find is that your periods take a long time to become regular again. So you might, once they start to return, you might have about another you know, six months or so where they're still irregular before they settle down into their regular pattern. So which might mean it's, you know, one one month, it's every six weeks or every eight weeks or, or they're closer together than that until they kind of settle down into a more regular pattern. Okay, another question also on ovulation. A lady's saying, I ovulate in cycle day 20. My cycle mm-hmm. average averages 31 days. Is breastfeeding affecting this and conception? Uh, that's quite a specific question. Yeah. I probably, yeah, it's probably best not for me to answer very specific okay. questions for an individual situation. Yeah, because I don't know in in her case. Absolutely, no, that's that's absolutely fine. So, in regards to ovulation and getting pregnant, mm-hmm. you obviously have to have sex. <laughs> yeah, and having the sex, having the sex, having sex first time after birth can be quite a daunting experience, can't it? Absolutely, yes. Both physically, I think, and emotionally, it's a minefield. It really is, isn't it? And also, the lack of sex drive around post-birth and breastfeeding is a topic I get asked quite personally about all Mm. the time. And is there anything... I mean, it's normal, right, to have a lack of sex drive when you're breastfeeding for one, and also when you've just given birth. It's such a huge physical undertaking your body's just gone through. Oh my gosh, completely. So, you know, sex drive itself and, and that feeling is a complex state. It's not just caused by one thing, as you can imagine. You know, there's, there's the physical side of um, everything you've been through and, you know, your birth might have been very straightforward for you or it might have been an unbelievably traumatic experience and something that you can't shake off quickly after you've gone through it. So there's, there's you know, the physical side of it, but there's also um, emotions, emotions that's linked also with, you know, with your vagina and with everything that's happened down below um, and the feeling of being examined and the feeling of, you know, all of that might also actually be quite triggering for you initially mm. um, to the point, you know, you don't want to be touched in that way and that, 
you just you 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 need time to get back to that um to that emotion that connection with your partner um yeah i think it's definitely really important what my general advice in terms of when when to start thinking about having sex with women obviously it's it is when you feel ready. It also sort of slightly depends on the birth that you've had. So if you had a very straightforward vaginal delivery that, you know, you don't have any complications, maybe you had a tear or a cut but that, that healed nicely, it's just waiting until you feel that those wounds have healed over. Physically, is usually around sort of three, four weeks. But um, emotionally, it might be best to wait until around your six-week check um, before you start engaging in, in, in having sex again, unless you, you know, you really feel that you want to. In which case, there's no reason not to necessarily. If you've had a more complicated birth, then you might be given more specific advice around that. And if you've had a cesarean, then tend, we tend to advise around six weeks after birth. And if you are having trouble increasing your sex drive, is there mm. anything that you can do to help that? I mean, I mean, we know that breastfeeding definitely definitely affects that on a kind of hormonal, physical level. Um, it does reduce your sex drive. So when you when you find that you either wean or you reduce the amount of your breastfeeding, you might find that your your sex drive does naturally pick up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm not aware of any kind of things um physically that you can do to, to to pick it up or any medications you could take but potentially um discussing you know maybe with your gp or, and maybe kind of having therapy or having somebody to talk to if you found that your you know your traumatic birth is affecting your sex drive and that might be a good way of helping and also just to make sure that you you know if you're having any problems with your mood more generally um then then tackling those also can help with your sex drive so if you've been feeling low or suffered from any form of postnatal depression or anxiety then you know making sure that you seek help for that and get that treated will also help your sex drive as well absolutely absolutely um so just going back briefly to getting pregnant after you've had your first baby or maybe even getting pregnant um before you you know before what advice could you give people if they are or give women if they are really really trying to get pregnant um and don't want to drop breastfeeding what what can you do before then obviously they can go and have the check to check for progesterone was it uh, yeah, well, yeah, checking checking if you're ovulating. So especially if you've given it a good amount of time where you're having you're having regular intercourse, maybe you've made any changes to your feeding patterns that you feel that you can that would help. Yeah. Um, then going to see to see your GP to see um to see if there's anything they can do. And they can do the basic tests for you. So yeah, checking checking your hormone levels, um, as well as maybe doing an ultrasound just to look inside and make sure all of that's okay. And and checking your partner's um analysis as well so the basic checks the gp can do they tend to advise either six months of trying to get pregnant um, if you're not having regular periods then that's a good time to see them or a year of trying to get pregnant if you are having regular periods okay. then it's a good time to see the gp and they can start those tests and if they um you know if they if they do those tests and maybe nothing comes up or you still haven't managed to get pregnant um then they then they can talk about referring you to fertility services and you still can go and you know be referred to fertility services even if you are breastfeeding still but they might give you more specific advice about how to do the breastfeeding okay and you mentioned about abruptly stopping breastfeeding Mm. can sometimes induce a period i've Mm. got a question here about how 
quickly would you expect a cycle to return? I know you don't want to, I know we can't answer any specific personal questions, but is there kind of a range of time you would expect? Yeah, I mean, well, even if you think about somebody who never started to breastfeed after giving birth, Mm -hmm. the earliest a period would usually appear after giving birth would be about three or four weeks after giving birth. And then, then it could take you know, several months. If you've stopped breastfeeding completely and you still don't find that you've had a period after a little while, then your GP can give you medications as well that might be able to stimulate ovulation to restart. Okay. All right, great. So, brings me on to my next question. What if you have given birth and you absolutely do not want to get pregnant again just yet? Contraceptives after birth is a hot question. Yes, uh, and actually, funnily enough, something I've just posted about last week. Oh, really? Uh, yes, I, I also um, get asked about this question a lot, and it's really important because, you know, there's, it, you really don't want to have an you know unplanned pregnancy. It's really nice to be able to kind of plan things out wherever possible. And the thing about breastfeeding is you're always told, oh, yeah, yeah, it's contraception, it's contraception, yes. until that doesn't work for you. And that can be really, really difficult if you've, if you've got a very, very young baby to deal with pregnancy and having another young baby arriving when you're not ready and your partner's not ready so yes thinking about contraception even if you're breastfeeding is important um what which contraceptions are available as an option for you kind of depends on um specific on how far we are from when you've given birth so there's some forms of contraception you can have literally straight away um like you can have a coil put in um within 24 to 48 hours after you delivered your baby wow and that then you know can just be in for as long as you as you need it to be three to five years depending on which coil it is um and if you don't have a coil put in straight after delivery then then you could have it put in again at at your six-week check or something like that with your GP. You could also go go on to taking um, the pill. Um, And initially after giving birth, it would be only the progesterone-only pill if you're breastfeeding. If you don't have any other contraindications yourself and you've previously previously been given it by your GP. But yeah, I would definitely refer any listeners who want a bit more detail on um, contraception um, after birth to my Instagram page where there is a more detailed um, post on that at the moment absolutely if people are on their phone right now do you want to just give your <laughs> handle uh, yeah it's at the obgyn um like obgyni mum perfect brilliant or go onto my page and you will see that i <laughs> will be sharing lots about you because you're fantastic you're brilliant thank you so much <laughs> okay let's talk about recovery because sometimes i think that this just isn't talked about enough so first let's touch on how to recover from a vaginal delivery and what your recommendations would be i know it varies from whether you've had a very straightforward vaginal delivery to whether maybe you've had forceps or something like that or a tear but what would be your top tips? So my top tips um, regarding kind of how to heal your wound, I think that's one thing that is really, really difficult because pretty much whatever birth you're, you're going to have, you'll have some form of wound either in your perineum, so where, where you've had a tear or, um, or a cut or, you know, an abdominal wound if you have a cesarean section. So looking after that wound and helping that, that wound to heal 
heal as quickly as possible will really help your recovery. So one thing about those those wounds is to make sure that you try to keep them clean and dry as much as possible. Don't use anything um, kind of soaps or anything with any um, any smell to it, um, but just kind of gently washing and cleaning the area and then making sure that it stays dry as much as possible will help to speed up the healing. So if you've got a wound down below, and you're wearing pads because you're bleeding, just keep those pads changed regularly so they don't get soaked and moist because moist is a horrible word anyway and <laughs> wounds really don't like being moist. And it's the same with a C-section wound. So just mm-hmm. if you find that that area is getting getting moist and um, either popping some gauze or something like that um, in the area um, will help. And then whenever you're at home, keep your legs up and allow that area to be open to the air um, will also really help to dry that out. Um, take painkillers, and that really, you know, people are scared to take painkillers, especially if you're if you're breastfeeding. But if you prescribe something like paracetamol and ibuprofen, they're perfectly safe. And taking regular painkillers is going to help you to mobilise to get up and about um, quicker, and and help you to feel more comfortable looking after your baby. So don't be afraid to take the painkillers, even regularly, if you still need to for a couple of weeks. Um, and then the other thing I kind of really recommend in terms of bouncing back, I don't think anyone should have to bounce back, but mm. is is letting people help you if if, yes. um, if they offer you help. I think take take whatever help that's offered, and so that you can concentrate on the things that are important to you at that time. Learning how to feed your baby for the first time, looking after yourself and your partner, making sure you're both fed and watered, and all of those kind of things. Um, that's really hard to do whilst looking after a newborn and keeping the house clean and remembering to cook and all of those things so if people are offering you help I think it's a really good idea to take take them up on that oh absolutely I was talking to Steph um on a on a podcast one of my podcast guests uh, yesterday or the day before uh-huh. and we were saying that actually one of the biggest learnings of becoming a mum is actually accepting help and accepting other people's offerings of yeah. you know I want to do this for you let me do it and actually saying yes and like, in this day and age, I think women are kind of expecting, well, I've got to be a, a working mum and do it all. And even from right from the beginning, I should, um, I, I know myself, I tried to just do too many things too quickly because that's what I was used to doing. But I didn't really acknowledge the fact that my whole life had changed. Mm. And it's okay to just focus on certain tasks for a little while. And I know that I definitely didn't rest enough after I'd given birth. <laughs> yeah. And I think that is a huge, so many people kept saying, Make sure you rest, put your feet up. You know, I've just, I put a post on my Instagram a couple of days ago, or, or maybe even yesterday, God, days go yeah. by so fast, don't they? Um, about moving, I think I moved a mattress into our garage conversion with my husband like two days after giving birth. Yeah. What was yeah. I thinking? What were you thinking? You know? Exactly. Um, exactly. I think this time around, I'm definitely, I know that I'm going to um, take more of that advice and, and also pulling up the drawbridge yeah uh, which I know is a movement that's kind of started around Instagram and people are really um getting on board but the idea of just shutting the world out for for a couple of weeks after I give birth and I'm hoping that my husband can take a bit more time off work and that we can um just just focus on each other and without worrying about other people and their and and their thoughts and their needs because we just yeah we'll we're gonna have our hands full definitely the other thing I wanted to touch on was smear test because I do have a couple of questions about um when do I get when should I get my smear test when safe to get a smear test when should I be called in after giving birth 
yeah so i mean your 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 recalls wouldn't tend to be dependent on when you've given birth unless you happen to have been called back during pregnancy um so you'd normally be getting called for a smear test every three years so if you get if you get called um whilst you're pregnant then it's perfectly fine assuming that you haven't had any problems with your cervix or, or previous abnormal smears it's perfectly fine to kind of delay that until after after you've delivered and then from anything from around six to eight weeks is is it's totally fine to get to get your smear test done again. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't really make any difference as to whether you're breastfeeding or not. That doesn't have any impact. And and you can have a smear test while you're pregnant. It's just that it can make the results a little bit a, a little bit difficult to interpret. So we tend to not advise a routine smear. But if you're having problems, you're having bleeding after sex, or you you know you you've previously had abnormal smears, and, and a doctor advises you to have a smear during pregnancy, that is fine too. Okay, great. Let's move on to the questions, shall we? Because I've got um, yeah, sure. quite a few, and I, I know I'm gonna I'm gonna um, stop some of them because they are, I think, a little bit too personal. But um, first poo, going for your first poo after giving birth. <laughs> Any top tips there? And I know, even though I didn't feel like I was stressed about it, I definitely was stressing about yeah. going to the loo for the first it, time. It is a really daunting prospect, isn't it? And um, especially when you just don't know what it's going to feel like to push. I think generally, whether you've had a cesarean or a vaginal birth, um, it's important to avoid being constipated because having to kind of push too hard is not going to help your stitches wherever they are. It's very unlikely to cause tearing of your stitches, but it'll still be uncomfortable for you. So the first thing is just to make sure you're not constipated, which is drinking loads and loads of water as much as you can. And then um, you can take laxatives as well. They tend to offer, we tend to give them routinely if you have a C-section. So they'll be added onto your drug chart whilst you're still in hospital or you could be given something to take home with. Um, and so just t- taking those uh, and, some, and lots of water in the run-up to go, and, to go with your first poo. And then just giving yourself loads of time. So, you know, maybe when, when your partner's around or someone's there to look after the baby and you can just take, take some time sitting there um, to let gravity do as much of the work as possible rather than, than you pushing. Yes. And using a footstool, I've, I've read, getting your knees Yeah, up. that can help with getting, your, get, getting the right angle, essentially, to kind of stretch out your rectum and to help it come a bit easier. That can definitely help. And laxatives, they're okay to take breastfeeding? Yes, yeah. Yeah, they shouldn't have any problems. Okay, great. I have a question. Get her to talk about pelvic organ prolapse. No one talks about it. I do talk about it. I definitely do. I post about it. And, and I really, really feel very strongly about, um, you know, women experiencing incontinence after birth um, or, or, or generally. It is, it is terrible that it's taboo. It shouldn't be. Mm. Um, and we, we do need to talk. In fact, there's a campaign on Instagram at the moment, hashtag we need to talk. And that is all about um, urinary incontinence. The thing that I would say about that is it's not normal to leak urine um, if, you know, at any stage really and there is so much that can be done to help you um there's two main causes we say of kind of leaking urine um which can be caused it can be stress symptoms so if you cough or sneeze and you leak that way or urge symptoms when you suddenly need to kind of run to the loo um 
and, and you don't really get much warning that you're going to need to you're going to need to pee, and that means that you you know maybe leak somewhere or you wet yourself. And um, so you know if those kind of things are happening to you, make sure you see your GP and get assessed. And sometimes if there is a weakness in the pelvic floor, then that can cause a prolapse, which is when part of your um, you know part, part of your, your your organs are kind of pushing down where they shouldn't. And those can be really easily treated. First of all, with physiotherapy, and then there's kind of other things that, that we can do in urogynecology um, to help out even before you reach the stage of needing surgery, things like that. So there's loads and loads that can be done to help. And the base, the main thing is just to talk about it, to see your GP. Um, and, and yeah, we shouldn't keep it hush-hush as women. We, we, we don't do each other's any favours by doing that. Absolutely agree. And do you have to know that you've had some kind of pelvic organ prolapse is the first sign that you're leaking um, when you cough or sneeze and you're leaking wee, or is it can it can you actually not be leaking and still have some kind of prolapse? Yeah, it's very common, especially with age and after you have more than you know multiple children, for for most women to have some degree of prolapse. But if it's not causing you any symptoms, then it doesn't necessarily need any treatment or cause harm. So yes, you may not know about it; it might just be there. But one of the symptoms that usually brings people to the GP is that they're leaking urine. Or the other thing that might happen is, is a sensation of kind of feeling a lump down below or feeling that you're being dragged down below, which is kind of a strange thing to describe, but it's, it's what women describe when they're, when they're experiencing this. Oh, gosh, I experienced that big time after giving birth. I literally felt like my insides were dropping out. It was such a heavy, heavy feeling. It was awful. Yeah. But that is almost like a preview of what it does feel like because that's what yeah. would have happened. There'll be some weakness in your pelvic floor naturally after giving birth. And then through doing your you know, pelvic floor exercises and just generally getting back to, to your normal activity, you strengthen that back up again. But it, yeah, if it comes back down, then that might be a sign of prolapse. Okay, another question. I've had a look in the mirror, which I have to say I think is a very important thing to do. It does take mm-hmm. the scariness away from having a look down there and it almost mm-hmm. makes the I, I found anyway it made the discomfort less when I could see what was going on and see that actually my whole vagina wasn't stitched together because <laughs> that's what it felt <laughs> like um yeah. it, I actually felt a lot better in myself just having a look so I would recommend have a look do have a totally look if you feel agree. uncomfortable. Totally agree. And, uh, you know, if we think in, in general as women, we should be really, we should be aware of our bodies and mm. uh, be able to pick up on problems before, before you know, they, they progress. So knowing what, your, you know, your breasts feel like normally when they don't have any lumps will allow you to detect if they have lumps. And equally look, looking down below and knowing what your vulva looks like normally, if you notice the sudden change that vulval kind of cancers and changes are extremely rare. But if you see something that's not normal, a lump or a change in the skin or anything like that, that then if you know what it looks like normally, you can you can know when there's a change as well. Mm. So that leads me to the question on here. The um, lady says, I've had a look down below and it all looks very, very different. How do I know if it's right or if it's just because I've given birth? Mm. Um, or Sorry, if something's wrong or if I, it's just because I've given birth. Yeah, so it, it will change a lot if you kind of look every day for the first few days after giving birth. You will notice a difference. So the first thing you'll be able to see is usually, you know, if you've had a cut or some stitches, you might be able to see some from the outside. Um, and 
I would try to avoid touching them, or if you do, if you don't touch them to see what they feel like, then um, make sure your obviously your hands are very clean because we want to try and avoid infection in the area as much as possible. Mm. Um, and signs that those those um, stitches that that area is infected would be that it becomes very very painful. It might become much more red, and it may have some pus coming out of it, so like yellowy discharge. If it's just got a clear fluid coming, that's completely normal part of healing. But if it's got like a pus then that may may be a sign of infection. So um, if you're worried about your stitches, the first person usually talked about would be your midwife who visits you at home. But if the midwife's not visiting you anymore, then um, your GP uh, will be the person to see. Or you can always go back to your triage from wherever you delivered your baby and get them to check it out. So that's with regards to the stitches. And then generally kind of the shape um, of your vagina, before worrying that anything's kind of wrong long-term, I would give that a chance to heal up longer. Uh, make sure that you do your pelvic floor exercises. It's really difficult, actually, in those initial few days to even have any kind of sensation about what's going on down there or to be able to contract your pelvic floor. But as time goes on, you will be able to so that's that feeling of you know if you go for a wee trying to mm. to stop the wee it's that kind of muscle sensation that's not we don't recommend that's how you do the pelvic floor exercise you should just um, be doing them separately to when you're on the loo but that but by trying it out that way will give you that sensation of what you what you should be looking for and then i assume if it's anything further down the line you know four or five months postpartum you still mm. think that things aren't quite looking how you're you know you think whatever that might be they should then to pop to your GP and go yeah, and ask them absolutely. to have a look. Definitely, definitely. Um, and that might be if, if there is a degree of prolapse there, that might make the appearance look different. So, yes, the GP can, can easily take a look for you and say, yeah, 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 that looks absolutely normal, or no, um, we should get that checked out. Um, so they're the best people to go to in the first instance. The apps tell me I should be checking my cervix for low, high, open, close. Is this true? I'm not too sure what she means, but that probably yeah, means more so to you. I, I think, yeah, yeah, I can answer that. So I think that's talking, you know, about maybe when you're when you're trying to conceive and you're um, kind of learning how your how your natural cycle works um, and trying to work out the best time to have sex to try to make it most likely that you'll conceive at a certain time. And so, yeah, so a lot of the apps. So they'll be tracking lots of different things that you can input to try to make it tell you when your when your fertile period is. Um, I was it's all based around trying to work out when you're ovulating. I would say that where your cervix is specifically isn't a very isn't a very sensitive marker for for ovulation. Um, a better sign to be looking for is the discharge that you have because that will definitely change as you come up to ovulation. So you're looking for the egg white, very sticky discharge, and that happens kind of uh, once two days before ovulation. So that's probably a more accurate marker. Um, it's a good idea to know what your cervix feels like inside, but. I don't think that tracking that throughout the cycle will really help to give you too much extra information. Okay. Um, after sex, a lot of sperm leaks. How do I prevent this? Oh, um, so if you imagine so when you when you have sex and a man ejaculates, they they. Uh, produce kind of tens of millions of sperm at the same time, and there will be. Um, 
ejected at quite high speed and some of it will come back out but there'll be millions of sperm still kind of left inside and you only need one to fertilize an egg so I wouldn't worry about about the sperm leaking leaking out again after sex. I know there's kind of the old wives' tales of lying down with your legs up in the air and that sort of thing, or on a cushion. And I think that's mo- that's that's not necessarily going to make a difference. But I think a lot of people want to try that just just to try to help. But you know, there's millions and millions of sperm released at, at a time, so you don't necessarily need to um, to worry about the sperm leaking out. Can ovulation tests pick up that you're pregnant? If I do an ovulation test um, to see if I've ovulated, could it also pick up if I'm pregnant? Yes, so an ovulation test is is looking for the hormone LH, which is a hormone released by the body just before and stimulates um, the release of the egg. Um, pregnancy tests are looking for a hormone called HCG, which is a hormone released, you know, very early on in pregnancy. Um, And, they those hormones do look quite similar to each other so it is possible that if there is hcg present in your urine that the ovulation test will pick that up and it may it looks like lh so it will give you a positive result but it doesn't always do that so i would always say you know if you think you might be pregnant you should be using a pregnancy test and not an ovulation test but if you're if you're doing ovulation tests and you think actually it's been about two weeks since you ovulated and it's positive, and you're confused, then try a pregnancy test as well, because they can be positive. Brilliant. positive, yeah. And one last question, sorry. <laughs> yes, okay. What is the optimal length between feeds to achieve before fertility is likely returned? So back onto breastfeeding, and I know we've talked a lot about this, but I'm not sure we covered the optimal length. No, I, I don't think that there isn't an op- optimal length per se, um, because it's going to vary for everybody mm. i would probably imagine more than about four hours between feeds would be better um if, if you're if you're closer than that then that's that's unlikely to allow ovulation to take place but i don't think i think it's more about playing around with what you're already doing if you're trying to get your periods to come back because you might already be doing four or five hours between feeds and you're not getting periods so you might need to stretch that further for you if that makes sense I feel like I could talk to you for um, a lot longer. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank oh, thank you so, you much you so, so much. Me. No, my pleasure. Well, thank you for sharing and doing everything that you do amongst having being pregnant, having another bit, a child, and also a job. <laughs> yeah, I like to be busy. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, yeah, I can I can see that. It's amazing what you're doing. So thank you, and and I'm sure my listeners are very very appreciative of you giving your time um, to me today and to their questions is there anything else that you feel like is an under-discussed subject or something that you feel like um, women need to know that you'd like to share with us today um well I think there's there's so much that is under-discussed I know um, right (laughs) around everything around basically just what what we can expect to be normal I, I think the most important thing as women is that we are now able to have these conversations that we're able to talk about things with each other um and and kind of check in on what's important and what's not and and making sure that you feel comfortable to go and see a doctor if you think things aren't normal um as I said, I, I started my page to try to get some more accurate um, information out there because Google is not the best place to receive information. Um, and I also say that I, I do question and answer sessions on my page every Sunday night. So if people um, if people want to ask kind of more general ups and guy issues, then I, I, I'm more than happy to, to take questions on other things because I think there's loads of topics we haven't covered as well today. 
Brooke is just absolutely fantastic, a fountain of knowledge. I really hope she answered some of your questions. If you are sitting there and you have a whole notepad full or you're thinking, yes, I do have another question, make sure you go on over to her page on a Sunday evening where she does a Q&A session and you have the opportunity to ask her more questions there. Also really worth scrolling through her feed on Instagram. I've personally found a lot of the answers to my questions within her actual feed posts. So go and have a check there. She talks loads about breastfeeding and getting pregnant and contraception and pelvic floor, all sorts of things on her page. So go check it out. Season five. Season five is coming. So as I mentioned at the beginning, season four will end next week with a huge Q&A. So make sure to send me your questions. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, Mum Talk Podcast, I will pop in little question boxes like I mentioned at the beginning. But season five will be coming the first or second week in September. So it is coming. In the meantime, I have a little giveaway and a favour to ask. I don't really like linking the two together, but in this time I am going to. Um, So I have an Ergo Baby Carrier to give away. And my main aim with the podcast is even if there's one thing that I share, if it reaches one person and it makes a difference to their day or their week whatever it might be, or makes them smile, offer support, I would be very, very happy. I'm trying to get the podcast out to as many women, parents, dads as I possibly can because I truly believe just listening can sometimes add that little bit of support that somebody needs. One way of doing this, and I do do this all myself, I don't have any help with the podcast whatsoever, so I think this is one way of doing it, is getting more reviews and more ratings on iTunes. So, Would you please, if you would like to win an Ergo Baby Carrier, would you head over to iTunes, go to the ratings and reviews section. Now, I can only see if someone's rated it if you write something. I can't see if you've rated it if you just do the stars. So if you'd like to enter the competition, write something about the podcast. It can be a few words, even I love it. That's all you need to say. Um, rate it with hopefully what would be five stars and then I will enter you in to the giveaway. Thank you so much. That's all I have to say on that. I really, really hope that you will help me try and spread the word. If you find this podcast helpful, let's get it out there to more people. All entries count from now. So go, go, go. Help me, help me, help me. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. I will catch catch up with you next week. Yeah, for the series four end. So hit me with your questions. Catch up with you soon. Bye.